0: I'm glad to see you all here tonight. I will have a cold, so I have a somewhat scratchy voice. But I'm pleased to give this talk, particularly because Genghis Khan has been a lifelong interest of mine. In the first draft of my college yearbook, they mentioned that I was always talking about him. And here I am at 76, still doing it. For more than 800 years a shadow was laying across Russia and China, the shadow of Genghis Khan, the Mongol conqueror, who rode out of the steppes of Central Asia with his devil's horsemen to fasten the yoke of tyranny on the neck of the Russian and Chinese people. Russia remained under that yoke for more than two centuries, and China suffers under it today. When Russia became the victim of communist tyranny and threatened for most of the 20th century, to conquer the whole world, the heritage of Genghis Khan was realized in it. Genghis Khan was one of the most evil men who ever lived, a fit forerunner to Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin. He said that the greatest pleasure in, in life was to see one's enemies humbled into the dust. His exact words were, quote, man's greatest fortune is to chase and defeat his enemy. Seize all his possessions, leave his married women weeping and wailing, ride his horse, use the bodies of his women as nightshirts and supports, gazing upon and kissing their rosy breasts. That's a quote. Can you imagine the kind of man who would say that? When Genghis Khan was fighting an in a war, he sent a troop of horsemen to track down <coughs> and ultimately kill the leader of his enemies however far they had to ride to catch him. Like the furies of the ancient Greek dramatist Aeschylus, like the hound of the Baskervilles, they pursued him to the very end. After the communist revolution, the communists revived Genghis Khan's practice, pursuing and killing anti-communist leaders all over the world. A Bulgarian refugee named Martov, who made radio broadcasts against the communists, was killed by the Soviet-Russian secret police, stabbed by a poisoned umbrella point on Waterloo Bridge in London as recently as 1985. (coughs) Ex-Communist Whitaker Chambers, in his great book Witness, told how after the chief of Soviet intelligence, Walter Kravitsky, had defected to the West. He was hunted down and killed. Chambers feared that when he left the Communist Party, the same thing might happen to him. He told of a saying among the comments, any fool can commit a murder, but it takes an artist to commit a natural death. The memory of Genghis Khan's empire in its long shadow remained. In Mongolia, his homeland, there was an ancient prophecy. When the white Tsar is no more, and the sun of heaven is vanished, then the campfires of Genghis Khan will be seen again and his empire was stretched over the earth. Genghis Khan's biographer says says that, quote, everywhere the Mongols wrote, the present is haunted by the shade of Genghis, end quote. By the terrible 20th century, the white Tsar was indeed no more. The communists had killed him. And the son of heaven, the emperor of China, had vanished. The communists had conquered China, too, overthrowing him and they still rule there today. The Mongols conquer all of China, first the north under Genghis Khan, and then the south under his successors, where they extinguished the last native dynasty, the Song. In 1279, <coughs> Genghis Khan's grandson, Kublai, became the ruler of China and founded a Mongol dynasty, the Yuan. When the Chinese native dynasty, which called itself the Ming, meaning brilliant, regained their country from the Mongols, they built the Great Wall of China to keep the Mongols out. So Whittaker Chambers said he believed, when he abandoned communism for the West, that he had left the winning for the losing side. He still thought so up until his death in 1961. Chambers will be the subject of a later lecture in this series. <coughs> We all bailed the Communist Chinese in their glory this year at the Beijing Olympics. So now the shadow of Genghis Khan falls on both Russia and China, the largest in area and in population of all the countries of Earth. The heritage of Genghis Khan is still with us. How did Genghis Khan come upon the world? He was born a simple Mongol tribesman named Temujin and was later given the title Genghis Khan, and acclaimed as emperor of all men. His people grew up with horses and became the greatest cavalrymen on earth. (coughs) As a boy and a youth, Temujin was surrounded by violence, took it for granted, and was inured to do it. His mother told him as a boy, quote, we have no friends but our shadows, no whips but the tails of our horses, end quote. She instilled into him the stark code of the steppe. He said to him, You ought to be thinking all the time how we can avenge ourselves on the Tejit who had tried to imprison him. While still a, quote, While still a child, Temujin killed his old half-brother, was captured and enslaved by a rival clan, but managed to escape from his captors. And, quote, his horsemen rode across the great plains of Asia, the Sea of Grassland, from Poland to Hungary. In China, Temujin became become Genghis Khan, utterly destroyed the great tankard nation of Shishia, saying at a victory banquet, quote, while we eat, let us talk of how we made them die and how we destroyed them. Let us say, that was the end, they are no more, end quote. To make doubly sure he killed the king of Shishia, even after he'd surrendered, when he conquered Muslim Central Asia, then a center of learning and culture, <coughs> he sacked great cities of Merv and Urgench, killing no less than 1,300,000 people. Contemporary historians actually counted up their bodies. A Persian chronicler writing 100 years later was still haunted by the magnitude of the disaster. He said, quote, as a result of the eruption of the Mongols, and the general massacre of the people which took place in those days, there can be no doubt that if for a thousand years to come, no evil befalls this country, yet it will not be possible to repair the damage." Quote. In Central Asia, where they killed millions, the Mongols left pyramids of heads in the cities they had conquered, leaving the piles of skulls to terrify possible future rebels. <laughs> Genghis Khan also took the great cities of Bukhara and Samarkand. As he approached Bukhara, one of the queen cities of Islam, in the words of the Persian historian Juveni, the people saw the countryside around them, quote, choke with horsemen, and the air black as night with the dust of cavalry. Fright and panic overwhelmed them, and fear and dread prevailed. And Genghis Khan was the first great terrorist. His generals pursued the Sultan of Samarkand across Persia to the island of the Caspian Sea, where he died. Hitler, Stalin, and Mao Zedong, the communist conqueror of China, Genghis Khan's heirs, were to match and exceed his ghastly total. In, <coughs> in Krakow, Poland, home Pope John Paul the Great, the city watchman, Spotting a mass of horsemen approaching blew a warning on his trumpet. A Mongol arrow pierced his throat before he could complete his trumpet call. That interrupted trumpet call is still sounded every day in Krakow in memory of the Mongols. I heard it myself when I was there. Pope John Paul the Great grew up hearing that interrupted trumpet call every day as the Communists based on Russia ruled his homeland of Poland, the conquering heritage and shadow of Genghis Khan. So Krakow remembers them, and so John Paul, who liberated his homeland, and eventually the world from communist tyranny, Remember them. Genghis Khan also conquered the ancient empire of China, as did his modern successors, the communists. That conquest will be a subject, the subject of my lecture in February. The lasting effect of Genghis Khan on Russia runs through all its political development. The first Russian state with its capital in Kiev was destroyed forever by the Mongols. They burned Kiev to the ground on Palm Sunday of 1241 and, quote, dragged away an uncounted mass of people, end quote. Moscow replaced Kiev as the leading city of Russia. The Kievan state was like Western European states, and if unconquered, would probably have developed as they did. But instead, the Russia that grew up under the shadow of Genghis Khan and the rule of Moscow and its frowning red fortress, the Kremlin, was a total autocracy. It had no parliament nor anything resembling parliamentary government until the 20th century. It had no human rights, nor anything resembling human rights, for most of the 20th century, which helps to explain why the totalitarian dictatorship of communism was established there. The first public act of Lenin's autocracy was to close the constituent assembly, Russia's first and only parliament. The great Boris Yeltsin brought down the communist empire in the late 20th century in a drama now almost forgotten. So the communists were the Mongols' heirs, as were their two history-making leaders, Lenin and Napoleon of the East, who wanted to destroy Western civilization, as Genghis Khan had wanted to destroy it, and Stalin, the most terrible and bloody tyrant the world has ever known, who killed at least 10 million people. When the rule of the Russian Tsar was established in Moscow and extended over the whole of the largest country on earth, Russia, including Siberia, stretching from the Gulf of Finland off the Baltic Sea, location of Russia's capital city of St. Petersburg, <coughs> all the way to the Pacific Ocean at Vladivostok. The, this colossus became the new incarnation of the empire of Genghis Khan. No man more like Genghis Khan has appeared on earth than the fell tyrant Joseph Down. He, too, cast a shadow across the entire generation. He, too, hunted down and killed his enemies in every corner of the earth. Most famously, his communist rival, Leon Trotsky, killed by the blow of an ice pick in Mexico, on the other side of the world from Russia. If you want to appreciate just what life in communism really was, see one of the greatest movies ever made, set in Russia after the communist revolution, Dr. Zhivara. Its wolves howl moon mournfully over the Arctic wastes. Its trains rumble through the vastness of the largest country on earth. You can almost hear the pounding of the hoofs of Genghis Khan's horsemen. I grew up and came to maturity under the shadow of communism and lived to see it fall. I even knew one of the men who helped bring it down, and the Iva of Lithuania, a Catholic. You can read the full story of my book, The Rise and Fall of the Communist Revolution, if you have the patience, for it's the longest book I ever wrote. It is dedicated to the martyrs under communism. A more fortunate generation spared this supreme evil cannot afford to forget what it was like. That's all of you. I will give a lecture on the communist revolution in January. Today it lives on in communist China, behind all the glitter of this year's Beijing Olympics lies the shadow of Genghis Khan. When President Richard Nixon went to China to restore relations with it, my old boss, then Congressman John Schmitz, a Catholic hero and candidate for president, in the year Nixon was re-elected, said of Nixon, who came from California as Schmitz did, and was ultimately driven from public life by Nixon that he objected to Nixon's return trip from China. Schmitz wished that Nixon had stayed there and never come back. This was before Watergate. We were all, we all, even Nixon himself, would have been better off if he had never returned. The shadow of Genghis Khan claimed him too, even though he had known law and befriended Whitaker Chambers. Of all men in our history, there is no more improbable friend of Communism than Richard Nixon, yet every imaginable reason to know and fear them. But history is full of strange events and strange bedfellows, and Genghis Khan made history right down to the 20th century. <coughs> all that Russia meant to the world in the since that critical year, 1970, the year of the communist revolution, all the suffering and the agony of its tortured people was Genghis Khan's legacy. Genghis Khan never knew Christ, but now the people of Russia are rediscovering him. For he does not die, and any people can rediscover him, even when he has been obscured by an evil force like Genghis Khan. About 1240, Genghis Khan's General Batu wrote to the Pope, and demanding his immediate surrender. This is how Batu addressed the Vicar of Christ. I know that you are a rich and powerful king, but it would be better for you personally if you submitted of your own volition. Part of the immense weight of human sin Christ took upon himself at Calvary was Genghis Khan's evil, as it was Hitler's and Stalin's. (coughs) Quote, year by year he, Genghis Khan, gradually defeated everyone more powerful than he was and until he had conquered every tribe on the Mongolian steppe. At the age of fifty, when most great conquerors had already put their fighting days behind them, Genghis Khan's spirit banner beckoned him out of his remote homeland to confront the armies of the civilized people who had harassed him and enslaved the nomadic tribes for centuries. In the remaining years of his life, He followed the spirit banner, that spirit banner, to repeated victory across the Gobi Desert and the Yellow River into the kingdoms of China through through the Central Asian lands of the Turks and Persians and across the mountains of Afghanistan to the Indus River. In conquest after conquest, the Mongol army transformed warfare into an intercontinental affair fall on multiple fronts, stretching across thousands of miles. Genghis Khan's innovative fighting techniques made the heavily armoured knights of medieval Europe obsolete, replacing them with disciplined cavalry moving in coordinated units. Rather than relying on defensive fortifications, he made brilliant use of speed and surprise on the battlefield as well as perfecting siege warfare to such a degree he ended the era of walled cities. Genghis Khan taught his people not only to fight across incredible distances, but to sustain their campaign <coughs> over years, decades, and eventually more than three generations of constant fight." End quote. It was as though he led a nomad counterattack on the civilization which Mongols despised, using tactics which exactly fitted the Mongol way of life. When he died in 1227, Geng, quote Genghis ruled from the Pacific to the Caspian Sea, an empire four times the size of Alexander's, twice the size of Rome, larger than any today except Russia, and it was only half complete. By 1300, the Mongols would double Genghis Khan's conquests, adding what is now the rest of China, Korea, Tibet, Pakistan, Iran, most of Turkey, the Caucasus, Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, most of Abu Dhabi, Russia, Ukraine, and half of Poland. They would reach beyond with campaigns in Western Europe, Egypt, and Japan, 28 million square kilometers one-fifth of the world's land area." Quote. It was the most gigantic empire the world has ever seen, and the sh- its shadow still falls on us today. The two largest and most populous countries in the world, Russia and China, were both conquered by the Mongols. From the eternal steppe under the vast blue sky in which the Mongols worshipped, his ghost still lives. And his shadow falls. In 1221, he started west. Thus was born one of the most astonishing adventures in military history a 7,500 mile gallop, which for the first time brought the Mongols into contact with the Western world. One of Genghis Khan's generals in this decisive assault. Was Subutai, one of the great generals of history, his cavalry struck the Christian Kingdom of Georgia in the Caucasus, the homeland of Stalin, and recently in the news when Putin's, Putin's Russia tried to conquer it, which had once promised the Pope to send an army to the Holy Land to the aid of the Crusaders. <coughs> now engaged in a battle with the Battle of the Death with the Mongols. Georgia could, no, could send no army to the old man. Subodai killed the king of Georgia. Georgia the responded and overran European Russia, establishing Mongol rule throughout Genghis Khan's, through Genghis Khan's Golden Horde, which loomed over Russia and the Russian state for nearly two centuries. For most of that time, the Russian state of Muscovy paid tribute to the Golden Horde. The Mongols won a victory over the Russians at the Battle of Kalka River in 1223, where the terrain was grassland, very much like that of Mongolia itself. They killed six Russian princes and pursued the Russian leader all the way back into Ukraine. One of the first kings of Muscovy was called Ivan Moneybags because of his collection of the tribute he had to pay to the Mongols. In Ukraine, the Mongols proceeded to crush the Yemen state, and they crushed all their enemies. Now, Genghis Khan could expand the Mongol Empire into Poland and Hungary, which also had grassy steppes, just just like Mongolia. In Poland, they reached Krakow and killed its trumpeter, as I've already described, who was warning of their approach. They went on to Germany where in 1241 they met an army of 100,000 commanded by Duke Henry the Pious of Silesia. This army clad in armor so heavy and unwieldy that if a man fell in it he could not get up when there was no match for the Mongol (coughs) horsemen. Duke Henry fled, fell, Tottered onwards in his shell of armor, was overtaken, stripped, beheaded, and cast aside, end quote. The Mongols put his head on the spear to terrify the Westerners. In just two days, Subutai's Mongol cavalry covered 280 kilometers through country covered with snow. Subutai forced a, a bridge over the Danube River and his cavalry occupied the whole of Hungary. Subutai never struck an enemy unless he was sure of winning, and he won another smashing victory in Hungary. It was the very next day after their victory over the Germans at Leibniz. Some 65,000 Westerners died in Hungary, including three archbishops and four bishops. Despite Genghis Khan's summons to the Pope to surrender, Christ preserved His Church from Genghis Khan as part of the fulfilment of His promise that the gates of hell should never prevail against it. But the gates of hell were never nearer to it than at this moment. As a result of the Mongol Empire, as a result of the Mongol Empire, it became possible to travel from Europe to China by the route followed. By Marco Polo, which inspired Christopher Columbus to sail west to America, seeking the Great Khan's domains in the East. Missionaries followed the same route overland. As always in the history of Christianity, the heralds of the gospel fully kept pace with his enemies, and the gospel has never had a greater enemy than Genghis Khan, born in Temujin of Mongolia. But in the end, he died and so did Stalin. Such men show us why mortality is a mercy for the human race. Since the fall, men commit sins so great that they must die, or they ruin creation. Genghis Khan was such a man, but only one is the final